Welcome to the Playing Injured Podcast, where we have conversations to help people turn their adversity into their advantage. I want to give a quick shout out to our guest that we're having on the show today, Sean Conley. He's a former NFL kicker. He actually was kind enough to send me his book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. I thought this was great. I I appreciate him sending me this book over. It's a beautiful cover, um, beautiful pictures of him in college and, 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 and in the NFL. And you can get this book at Bronze and Noble, Bookshop, Amazon, Books a Million. I just want to give him a shout out because I felt like that was a great gesture on his end. So I want to be able to uh, match the value that he that he brought me and um, be able to send this out to any current athletes, former athletes that need to understand what it's like to get through that identity crisis that you feel after the game has left. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Playing Injured. I'm sitting here with Sean Conley, ex-NFL kicker turned yoga and meditation instructor, host of the Happy Athlete Podcast, author of The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. I love it. Sean. Happy to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Josh, I'm excited to talk. Appreciate it. I'm excited to talk as well. So what I want to do, I always love giving um, guests an opportunity to kind of plug what they're doing now. You work so hard every day, putting time into what you do today. So we'd love for you to give the folks the opportunity to to share uh, who Sean is today and and how you spend most of your time um, today. Mm, yeah. Wow. Well, hey, I appreciate that. Well, um, I have four kids. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's the majority of my time going to uh, basketball games, baseball games. Um, but yeah, like, like career wise. Yeah. So for the last 20 years, I've been teaching yoga. I got into teaching yoga because, uh, uh, football injuries, both mental and I guess, or both physical and, and mental. So I'm, so I'm teaching yoga, um, uh, you know, with the downtime with things, with, with the pandemic, I picked up a, a podcast, which is called the happy athlete, which is, um, uh, meditation, mindfulness athletes, um, uh, the, the whole gambit. And uh, yeah, and I just, uh, just finished that book that the point after, so that's pretty much, uh, what I got going on right now. You got a lot going on and I, I got a chance to listen to a few episodes of your podcast and it's very well done. Um, for it to still be in the, in the early stages, I'm like, I'm, I'm really impressed with how um, professionally done it is, how polished it is. I, I can't believe what it's going to look like a year from now, five years from now. So keep going. And I encourage, uh, other folks on, on my show to go over there and check that out. So with that being said, resilience, this in, this in your, in your, uh, book title resilience, essentially that's what playing injured is all about that mental toughness, how can we rebound? How can we stay resilient in times of adversity? 
but I think something that a lot of people play injured with is that inner critic, right, in their mind. Um, and I know you felt that. I know a lot of people have felt that currently right now. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know how to quiet it or if they can't quiet it, how can they deal with it? Um, and in your life, whether it's in sports or yoga, meditation, have you been able to handle that inner critic or understand it to, to deal with it better? Yeah, that's such a great question. I, you know, I guess I could look at that a couple different ways. I mean, now that I got into yoga and meditation, you know, that there's like, I have like actual tools to, to work with the inner critic, but, you know, going back to my, my playing days, it was just, um, I guess I look back now and I probably was doing some sort of meditation or mindfulness, you know, wasn't, I didn't call it that, but um, it was something I really struggled with actually when I was at the university of Pittsburgh, um, what my special teams coach is, his name is, is Amos Jones. He's, he's now coaching for the New York giants. Um, I was, I was a perfectionist as, as a kicker. So I would, after practice, I would even go and watch all this video of myself, just like, like other players would watch, you know, video of like what they're doing, but I would watch like every kick from practice. And I would look at my foot placement and my follow through and everything. And I would spend a lot of time on, on kicks that I missed or, or mistakes that I made in, in the video. And as opposed to like looking at the video of, of when I was like successful in my kicks and, 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 uh, coach, coach Jones, yelled at me one day to stop. He's like, you spend too much time looking at mistakes. How come you don't spend more time on all the kicks that you make? And, and that was like a huge change for me in my career. Cause what I would do is like when I would miss kicks and actual games, instead of like replaying my mind, I would start to shift and think about, you know, like the kicks I made. And that really helped me get through like the ups and downs, like for kickers, like you're going to miss, it's going to happen. It's like how, but how do you, how do you deal with that? He, he told me one day where he, he got that, that advice that actually came to him from bear Bryant, um, the coach wow. of Alabama. And he said, what would happen was, cause he played for bear Bryant and then he coached with them. He said, after the game, they, Bear Bryant would bring the whole team into to the into the auditorium, and he said he'd spend like you know five or ten minutes show them, hey, like we need to get better here. What happened here? You know, we got to work on that. But he said the the rest of the of the meeting was that he would it was like a highlight reel showing them be successful because he that was his that was his uh, his philosophy that I want the players to see all the positive they do. So they keep getting that and they replay that in their head. So the next week, that's what they're going to be focused on versus, Oh, here's a mistake I made last week. I hope I don't make that same mistake again. I love that. And, and I was reading, uh, it takes what it takes by Trevor Moed, the great late, great Trevor Moed. Um, he talked about him working with, uh, Russell Wilson. Um, and they showed all of his comebacks every day. They, they took all his comebacks of his whole career high school, college, NFL, and they broke it down every day. They were watching you come back to create that positive reinforcement, that positive mental conditioning um, and building evidence that you are a great quarterback and you can make plays. I, I think that's so key. That's so key. So you, you mentioned that you have a few tools, um, right, that, that you've learned along the way in practicing meditation. Yo, what, what are some of those tools that people can use yeah. Yeah. The tools I, have, I have now that I, I didn't have them, but you know, you know, but the, other than that, like reinforcing positivity that I got from my, from my coach there, um, you know, just the basic practice of yoga or meditation is, is, you know, just 
to simplify it is just just focusing on your breath and and, and being in the now. So so that's mm-hmm. that's what I use whenever like my mind goes you know goes back into the past or it goes in, into negativity or I start to question myself or doubt myself or you know whatever that may be is to just um, you know just use my meditation or yoga practice to help reset and strengthen that. And it's, it's something when I first got into yoga and meditation, I never really believed that you could, you could do, I thought it was more just something just for like a, like a physical practice. But then the, the more I did it, the, the more I realized it actually, I, it's a skill that I, that I could build. I, um, uh, at a young age, I was diagnosed with AD, ADD. So that helped me as an athlete in a lot of ways. Cause I was, I, w- I would train, um, obsessively, which helped me get really far yet at the same time, my inner critic, um, was super strong because if all of a sudden, like I had a bad practice or maybe I questioned, you know, my dream of playing the NFL someday or playing division one, um, I, I couldn't stop my mind from going down that, 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 that negative route. So, so yoga, you know, when you, or you practice meditation, it's always that the first thing that you're, you're trying to grow is your awareness. So the more you can be aware when you go down to negativity, you can catch yourself and then just, you know, let those, let those thoughts pass. So that's, that's the tool that, you know, there's no, certainly it's not something I'm, gr- I'm great at. Yeah. Not, but like, it's just, it's that awareness more than anything. Like, Hey, you're starting to go down that road of negativity. Like just, you know, stop. And sometimes it works, sometimes yeah. it doesn't, but there's at least a chance it can, it can work. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And I think now more than ever meditation, yoga, these are practices that people should do because it is so much information that we're uh, taking in mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I mean, for morning, I think most people get on their phone first thing in the morning and the last thing at night, they're scrolling on their phone all throughout the day, YouTube videos, sports talk, radio, politics, talking with other people. Very rarely do we get silent time. It's always a a background noise or background junk or whatever the case may be is going on. Um, And so I think it's so important. Um, And do I do it every day? I can't say I do it meditation every day, but I'm putting intentions to do it um, because I know how key it is to, to quiet the mind, the inner critic, and all those different things. So I love that. And I, lo- I think that's some tools that people can definitely use. Um, so take us back to the beginning of your journey. Uh, I-, I know around kind of eight years old is the the love of the game was sparked. That fire was sparked. Take us back to those. If you can remember, kind of paint that picture yeah. for, for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is like right on the lake there in Pennsylvania. And it's it it it, it was or it still is. A, it's like a huge sports town. My my father was a um, he was a standout uh, baseball, basketball, football, track guy. So he was really into sports. So for me growing up, there's like sports everywhere, and that was you know something that I just for me like that's if if you became a, a a big time athlete in high school or college in Erie like you made it you know that was mm. that was kind of the word that that was like like the, the culture that i felt like was there so i i bought into that but at the same time for me sports was never something that um that was it was always fun you know i never looked at it as like when i was you know playing that it was like that it was that it was work and so um you know uh, one day my dad just suggested, Hey, you should do punt, pass and kick. There's a competition. And I was eight years old. And he, he drove me out to the field. Um, so I got out in the countryside and I got there and it was ages eight, nine, and 10. I was, I was the youngest, but, um, uh, ironically, I, I, I did really well with the punt. I did really well with the pass. And then I actually flubbed the kick, but I just was just the, the, you know, just 
being on the field and performing and kicking, I was, I was just completely hooked. So from that day on, I just, you know, I would just start kicking in my backyard and in Erie, it would snow like in November and it would cover the grass and the streets and you wouldn't see the, the grass again until April, but I just, I just love so much kicking. I would kick in the snow. And I think long-term it made me like a really good kicker. Cause I would just kick in these, these horrible conditions up in Erie. And uh, so when I got to college and, you know, on these amazing pristine fields, it, it just, it just seemed so much easier, but it was just something I always wanted to do um, was, was to be a kicker, but I, I made my, my route uh, a little more difficult than I needed to. I, I decided to, to, to not play in high school because I thought this in, in, in the mid eighties, there was all these kickers coming in from Europe. I don't know if, you know, like, like Jan Stenerud, um, uh, let's see who else, uh, uh, Roy Jarella, all these kickers were coming in from, from that. There were soccer players from Europe and they were kicking. And so that's where I got this idea. I would just play soccer, you know, basketball and the other sports. And I would just, I would just practice my kicking. And, and luckily for me, it, it worked out, um, uh, I, I got cut from, from Grove city college, <laughs> that was the first place I went to. And then, uh, then I played two years for Gann and I ended up at Pittsburgh, but it was, it, it was not an easy road because I, I, I just, uh, like I said, I, I didn't play in high school. So. <laughs> right. So you didn't, so you didn't play in high school football at all. And then right. you end up going to what college is that you start off the first year? Yeah, it was a teeny college, uh, called Grove city yeah. college in, in, in Western PA. And, and, uh, I, I asked the coach if I could walk on. He said, he said, yes. But then when I got there at the first day of uh, a practice, he changed his mind and said, I already have enough kickers. So, so, so that was that. And then, um, went back to my hometown and Gann university, which didn't have a football team since, uh, like world war II, since mid forties, they, they, they happened to just start one. So they just right. wanted bodies. They just wanted anybody. So that, uh, that's where I got my, uh, my, uh, that was like my big break. It was perfect. Um, but I missed, uh, I was three for 18 over two years. Um, so I was probably the lowest ranked, uh, kicker, kicker in, the in the nation. So what made, <laughs> what made you, what made you, I guess the confidence to have a very low percentage as a kicker in a lower conference, right. To say, I'm going to go to pit. Yeah, it was. What was the tough presses? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people, you know, told me I was crazy when when I transferred. It was just I, I just had this inner belief that I could do it. I, I had a very strong leg. I like to think like, um, um, what's that movie with Adam Sandler? The Happy Gilmore, where he yeah, has like, no he has control no, but power. Yeah, no control, <laughs> no discipline. He but he but he can crush it. That that's kind of the kicker I was at the time. I could I could kick it super far. Um, I could kick my, my kickoffs could go to the back of the end zone, but like, I had no idea how to kick it straight. So the whole time I just figured, well, Hey, if I just stick with this, eventually I'm going to figure out how to kick it straight, but, but I had no coaching whatsoever. So, um, but that's Amos Jones. He, he was like my angel. When I, when I got the pit, he helped me, you know, when we do video and he's just like, you know, this is, this is what's happening. You just got to fix us, fix this. And then I started to focus on that. And then, um, it was just, it was just how my foot, you know, would strike the ball. I just, I had it sort of like point my toe down. I, I just opened it up a little bit. And so when I'd hit the ball, it would come off my foot like a helicopter. But then once I straightened that out, that's, that's what got me going. But, you know, inside, I think for me, I, I, I was always going to try to make the, you know, to move to eventually go to pit because, I felt like I just, I just never wanted to have any regrets. I wanted to be able yeah. to end of my college career. Once my four years of eligibility ran out, I want to be able to look back and say, Hey, 
you know, you gave it everything you can and, you know, division one just wasn't, wasn't for you. So that was really the, the, the inner driver for me for the, for most of that time. Man. And I know your, your dad was probably super proud to see you go to, to pit, right. And you know, your family I, kids yeah. back at. Yeah. You know, I, you know, my dad, it was, was, was very soft-spoken. He, he never really said much. He, I guess he was proud, but he just, you know, he, just, he actually was pretty conservative. He, he he wanted me to stay at Gannon because he didn't want to see me fall on my on my face at Pitt. But uh, yeah, I'm sure sure he was really happy. I when I went to Pitt, they already had three or four kids on scholarship, so it was it was uh, and I only had one year of eligibility left. So so you know it it it, it worked out. But at the time, his him wanting me to stay probably it seemed to make the make, make the most sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here at Plain Injured, we value mental fitness and giving folks tools to persevere through anything in life. If you struggle with brain fog, fatigue, or staying focused, I want to present to you the latest biohacking tool called Magic Mind. It's an amazing productivity drink. Look, I've been drinking Magic Mind for the past few weeks and I've noticed a difference in my level of focus the momentum that I feel throughout the day, and it's helped me feel more successful and conquer my calendar. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink. It's different than an energy drink or a coffee-based drink with minimal caffeine and all-natural ingredients, helping you fight off procrastination, brain fog, fatigue, and some ADD symptoms. After about three to seven days of continuous use, it's easier to get into a flow state and be more productive. Magic Mind has a special offer for our listeners. Head over to www.magicmind.co forward slash injured and use our promo code injured for 20% off. Visit www.magicmind.co forward slash injured and use our promo code injured. So, okay. So from there, you go to the NFL and you go undrafted, right? in the NFL and most, most kids, I don't know how it was then, uh, but I know now mo- most kickers go undrafted, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my year was unique. Um, uh, Jason Elam, I don't know if you remember that name for the, for the Denver Broncos, there was actually maybe four kickers drafted that year. It was crazy. Um, I, I was, um, uh, uh, I had five or six NFL teams work me out, say that they're they're going to draft me, uh. but it just yeah, it it didn't work out. So um, uh, yeah, but yeah, normally normally there's there's maybe one kicker drafted because there's just it's such a crapshoot, you know how you kick in college for the most part. It, there's no correlation to like like how you kick in the NFL. There's a, a few exceptions to that. Um, if you look through all the successful NFL kickers, there's a lot of them that were not drafted that are really that have had great careers. And there's a lot who were drafted who did not have such great great careers. That is crazy. So I mean, it's coaching and mentorship. Like you had you had yeah. a really good coach, right? So <laughs> take us through kind of the NFL journey. I know you had you were a part of three different teams. You had you you got cut. What are those feelings like? I mean, to to you had to be uh, being cut. Keep going. You had to be crazy enough to, if you were crazy enough to go to pit one year, four starters, low percentage, go to the NFL. You, you probably felt like you could do anything, and you had an opportunity to be there for a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I I knew if like I, I'd get cut, I, I I wouldn't. My philosophy was I'm just going to keep, you know, keep playing. You know, 
keep having my agent or myself call teams until eventually no one returned the calls or like, like no, no one signed me. But at the same time, like when I did get cut, you know, like a lot of players, like I felt like it was like the end of the end of the world. You know, I remember like when I got cut by the Indianapolis Colts and um, I, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, they, they call him the Turk. He like knocks on your door and he comes in and the Turk is the guy that the, the NFL teams, they, it's usually a guy who like a, on the lower rung of the coaching staff. Um, and, and so they assign him to be the guy that knocks on the door and he, he'll knock on your door and say, you know, coach, you know, bring your playbook coach wants to see you in your office. So, um, I had one, one, uh, player that he, he would hide underneath the bed, you know, would, when he knew they're coming from, him. Um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, he would, he would go in the, in, in, in the bathroom or something like that. Um, so I was, I was taking a nap and I heard the knock and, you know, I had a, I had a bad practice that day and that was it. But I just remember just feeling so, you know, like a sense of like like humiliation, embarrassment, and yeah, and why you know being cut from NFL teams, but then I I didn't want to see any of the players that I made friends with, you know, and and um, I remember just like sitting in the parking lot just for like an hour, just like staring at the practice f- field and seeing them all go back out into the field and thinking like this is, you know, this is this is the end of the world, but you know, of course it's not, but um, but that's generally how a lot of players feel, you know, because it, it's like uh, uh, you know, it's like our our identity. You know, like, yeah. at, at that point in my, in my life, I never pictured myself doing, doing anything else. A lot of players that I talked to over the years have all had the very similar stories where it's just, you know, now what? Cause some guys are lucky enough to have make other, you know, you know, they have other ideas at the time, but most players, you know, that's it. It's, you know, it's, it's being a professional football player. Yeah. 100%. And I think it, somebody else having control of, of your dream, and telling you it's over with is is crazy, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's the big one. Like not being able to go out on your own terms. I think that was 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 the hardest to to deal with. Like like you said, like yeah, you're you're you know, it's when they tell you you can't play anymore. There's nothing you can do about it, <laughs> right? So you you get an opportunity with the Jets, and with the Jets is is where you get the news from the doctor dealing with injuries, right? Um, that that you won't be able to play anymore. What was that? pretty much the kind of the nail in the coffin of like, wow, this is, this is actually over with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, um, I I was having, I was struggling during practice that day and I knew it was because of my, my injury. My injury came from, from, from overtraining. Uh, when I got to the university of Pittsburgh, I was just so, um, obsessed about making it to the NFL. I thought that the more I kicked, the more I trained, uh, the better kicker I would be. And, you know, they, they say that it's a game of inches. And so for me, I just, I just wanted to, to squeeze every, uh, every, every bit of power I could out of my body to be able to kick the ball, you know, to be able to make, you know, 68 yarders or 65 yarders versus just 58 yarders or 60 yarders. And, and so I would, I would take a notebook to the field and I wouldn't stop kicking until like I hit like a certain number with those 50 balls or 60 balls. And so I didn't, I didn't, I never made the, it was too late in my career when I finally made the shift to quality over quantity. So what happened was my, my hip and back just started to give out. And that's what happened when I, I met the, uh, the jets doctor, he started poking around in my hip flexor and he says, he couldn't find anything. He says like your hip flexor is, is degenerated. So yeah, that, that, that should have been the end. And I, I, I knew deep down that my career was over at that point. Cause I asked him, he said, I, I should probably never play again, but I did go play for the world football league after that. And then I, I went to some tryouts with the arena football league. So I considered that because I just couldn't accept it at that point. But yeah, right. physically that was pretty, that was, that was the end. Yeah. And, you know, I tell folks like, yes, 
playing injury is the podcast, right? And it's the premise of that. That's what athlete is just like a mindset of what athletes do. Like they go out there, especially in the NFL, very rarely are you a hundred percent healthy. And it's right. just the fact of going out there, but it is some times where you, you have to be able to understand who you are and have some self-awareness about, Hey, I need to do things differently. Uh, and so that is crazy, man. You, so, and I think a lot of folks do this. I think a lot of athletes do this is that when the dream, you, you know, it's over, but it comes to a point where it's almost a, a detriment. Now it's like, we're justifying it as I'm following my dreams. I'm doing everything it takes, but don't now fuck, it's actually, yeah. Right. Now it's actually like a detriment more than actually helping your, your life. Um, especially in the sports world, what what finally clicked that was like, okay, like it's time to give this up. And I know you went through some post-athletic depression, like a lot of athletes do. Um, I guess that was the term to, to actually start to practice yoga and meditation. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah, you just hit the bullseye <laughs> when you said um, detriment. And I think that's what it was. Yeah. It, it finally hit me that me still pursuing this, this dream to play in the NFL was, was a detriment to my wife. I had a kid at the time, my family, because it, it was like, it got to a point where it was just obvious to me that everything was revolving around, around me and my career. And I was just like, wow, you know, this, this, this is, you know, that, that's when I like, I woke up and I'm like, Hey, there's, there's gotta be something else I can do. And now it's time for me to just hundred percent focus on, you know, the, the, what I have here with my family. Cause for me, I could, uh, I was so like, I think, you know, self-centered at the point where it was about my career that I, like, I, I, I couldn't even see beyond that, that like, that I already had, you know, I had something much more than football. Um, I, I got some advice that I, I didn't listen to early in my career. It was with the Detroit lions. Um, before practice one day, it was one of the first practices in training camp. Um, I was walking out onto the field and Barry Sanders came up to me that the, the running back. And he, he said, uh, Hey, do you want to play catch? It was the craziest thing. And so I said, of, of course. And so that was like yeah. our routine. Like, so, so I'd play catch with Barry Sanders for practice every day. Well, we had a, we had an exhibition game and um, it's a Dallas Cowboys in, in London. And I was doing what the rookies do. And I, w- I was staying out late. I came in, I was I came rolling into the lobby around two, three in the morning. And there's Barry Sanders sitting there reading a book you know what you know because he's because he's a professional you know he, he's, he's gonna be well rested the next day and i just sat down on him and i was talking to him and, and he and cuts were coming up like two weeks and i told him i was concerned about being cut and he said hey one thing you got to remember you know while you're in, in the nfl and that is that there's more to life than the nfl and i remember he said that and it, it, it kind of stuck with me but I, I i didn't believe him which is unbelievable i was thinking, like why would i not 100 believe barry sanders right um, but uh <laughs> He obviously, somewhere along the line, he 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 got a grip on this whole thing, and I think that's one of the reasons why, like he he retired early when he was super healthy. So, you know, but I but I did it. But like looking back, like that's you know that that's why like I made it like the um, subtitle of the book because like that yeah that was it. Like I I never saw that you know until much later, and I put myself through way through way uh, uh, more mental distress than I really needed to when, when my career uh, career ended. Yeah, I, I mean, most athletes and, and their story is very similar. Come from a sports rich town, 
you look up to these high school kids mm-hmm. when you're younger who are like celebrities in your hometown, right? Yep. You made it. Then your father was really, really great at sports as well. Um, and then um, going to Pittsburgh, it became your identity mm-hmm. and became who you yep. were. And you didn't feel like you were capable of anything else. I know uh, for myself, I didn't have the best grades. Um, didn't uh, think I could do more than basketball. It was all I did. Um, it's all I talked about, all I watched. That was it. And so um, once it's over, you realize that, wow, I've been putting myself in a box and I don't know how to get out this box. I've been selling myself short. And so um, I think that transition is so key. And you start to realize that you have small hidden passions and talents um, along the way. Um, And your purpose can be filled through a lot more than, than the NFL basketball, whatever the case may be. So yoga, how did yoga do that for you? And how did, I guess, what made you realize that yoga and meditation and what you do now would be able to fill that cup? Yeah, I like that. And I like what you said about like the box. You know, I think about like yeah. how I felt like when it was over. But you're right, like it was like a box. It was like I, I couldn't see beyond this this very small area. Yeah. Um, like around me. And it was just like, like, what do I do now? And it, and it was more about like like what what can substitute for that? Like what, what's gonna give me the excitement in life that's football. And now I look back and like there's you know, it's just it, it, playing football at that level is exciting, but it's it's, it's just a game, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's not, but but uh, yeah. So, but 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 the my 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 journey into yoga was it, it could have came a lot sooner when, when I was playing for the um uh uh when I was playing with the Colts. My wife was 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 into yoga already, um, and she tried to get me into it. But unfortunately, at the time, we're talking like mid nineties here. When you play in the NFL, there was there was no there, there was no balanced training. You know, there were stories of like you know Lin Swan with the Steelers who who did ballet, but that was like the one exception. And you know, some of the things that like Jerry, how Jerry Rice trained was unconventional. But for the most part, like you just did weights and you pushed and you know all that. So for me, like to do yoga, I I, I didn't listen to her. So she was still like really into it, or she was into it the whole time I was playing. Then when my career ended. Um, you know, my back was in such bad shape. I had a hard time. Like I couldn't, like, I couldn't go watch a co- concert and stand on my feet or I couldn't, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't jog cause, cause my back was in such bad shape. So it just got to a certain point where I figured like, I, I just got to try it. So I did, I started going to her classes and within a handful of months, um, my back and hips were, they felt like a hundred percent to the point where, um, I came up with this idea. I was going to make it like an NFL comeback, which, uh, which was very short lived because like once you're out of league for a couple of years, like you're done, like they've, they, yeah. you're on this, you're on this blacklist. Like, you know, you're, you're not coming back. So like, you know, I tried, you know, reaching out to a couple of teams and they ignored me luckily. And so that was that, but the, the biggest surprise, what got me really hooked on yoga was at the same time I got cut by the, um, uh, by the, by the jets just a few months later. Um, my father, who I, who I was super close with and, um, my best friend, he, he passed away. And so I was dealing with mm. and a career, and, and losing my dad. And so, um, you know, and I, I just held it all in. I just like stuffed all these emotions. I, you know, I didn't even cry when my father died. Cause I just, I, 
wanted to pretend it never happened. So what I realized though, is when I started doing like all this yoga, um, it started to help me, um, cause you could say like, like process it because I would, you know, be, you know, you know, focusing on my breathing, which is something I never did. And at the time sounded so hokey, but like, just, you know, you know, get my mind quieter and it just helped me deal with it and process it. And so that it helped me, you know, just, just let go of the whole football thing. And it helped me, um, you know, look at my father's passing and, and his life more with gratitude versus like the anger of like, you know, why is he only in his fifties and he's gone. And, you know, so that was, that's what really hooked me on yoga. Cause I thought, wow, it helped me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And, and then I got, and then my wife said, Hey, you need to teach. So I started to teach. And then that's like how I, I teach, or that's my, I guess like the inspiration behind my teaching yoga now is I'm hoping to, you know, if people come and, you know, take my class and maybe they also, they get some physical relief or some mental relief and, and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really my whole, it's behind my whole passion behind doing that now. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and we all go through emotional, mental, physical pain and how you get through it is is amazing but how you can help others get through that same pain um whatever the case may be is that's what keeps you going that's what fills your cup that's when things get really fun uh so no i i love hearing that and i love how people find their purpose through the pain that they felt um in their life that's amazing that's amazing so with that being said where can people uh, find your social media, your book? Um, I know you have a website and different things like that that I'll make sure I put in the footnotes, but where can people find you and, and follow your journey? Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, my website, seanconley.net, S-E-A-N-C-O-N-L-E-Y.net. Um, social media, I would say uh, Instagram, um, to Sean Conley, I believe is my handle or Sean Conley too. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll but, check uh, it out. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those would probably be the the best bet. Yeah. My book is, is available at, you know, all the, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, as well, as well as my website. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Sean, I appreciate you sharing your story and value. Thank you. Um, I think it's a unique story. Um, and I think a lot of folks, not even just athletes can, can take it and, learn how to make a pivot in life. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Our brand design and strategy is by Tessa at fivefootstudios.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at fivefootstudios. Our music is by Lakey Inspired. Go ahead, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and click the five stars to give us a rating. And most importantly, keep playing injured.